0: The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. If you would take a moment and find the very first page of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. You know, there's always a conversation, it seems, uh, about Christmas about the true meaning of Christmas, um, even outside the friendly confines of the church. You'll hear sometimes that conversation in the community or in the culture. It's not just a church conversation. We we talked a little bit about that last week, about the differences. I know there's a lot been said. I know I've certainly said, uh, especially last week, I, I've spoken my fair share of comments about Christmas and its observance in the culture, and I felt like I also pointed out maybe some inconsistencies, as I see them, between what God says about Christ and what the culture says about Christmas. Those are not always the same. In fact, just as recently as yesterday morning, we're sitting in our living room and we're celebrating Christmas in our home, the five of us, and... uh, I thought, hey, there's usually a parade or something on. You know, Thanksgiving and Christmas, there's usually a parade. So I turned on the TV. It was, I think it was about 11 o'clock. And uh, searched real quick, and I found, okay, from 10 to 12, there's the Disney Christmas celebration parade or something. So I flipped it on. And I, as I turned it on, I, it just happened to be at the moment where uh, they were cutting to different people, different, I guess, from whatever network that was aired on, uh, other shows that are aired on that same network, different celebrity hosts were giving opinions or, or their Christmas greetings or what have you. And it cut to the, uh, the hosts of a show called The View. And, uh, and there's like four or five ladies up there. And uh, one of them is maybe rec- more recognizable than others, Whoopi Goldberg. And she said, it just happened to be the moment I turned it on, she said, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And I was like, okay. And? And you know what she said? She finished her sentence. And, uh, and so I'm not talking about anybody. I'm just telling you exactly what was said on live television. She said, it's the most wonderful time of the year because of the food. That's great. Uh, yeah that that makes it the most wonderful time of the year so it 's almost ironic then that uh, the scripture that God has led me to for today, which by the way it was not a this was not a this week decision. This scripture was on my calendar a month ago. It just so happens that this scripture speaks directly to the person of Jesus and who he really is and why we celebrate. Yesterday we had an opportunity to celebrate the birth of this Messiah, so it seems only fitting then that today we maybe review what the Bible says about the one to whom all worship, honor, and glory is due. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to begin in verse 18 and go to the end of the chapter, verse 25. And here's what the Bible says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been begotten in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son." And you shall call His name Jesus, for He Himself will save His people from their sins. Now all this has happened to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph got up from his sleep And did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife and was not knowing her until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Father, it's in the name of Jesus I pray this morning. Speak to us. I pray that you would speak clearly and that we would understand And then we would obey. And that you would be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. Now this is seemingly a more brief explanation of some events, right? You go over to Luke chapters 1 and 2 and you have a lot more detail. Uh, You also have a different perspective. Because if you notice, it seems almost as if Matthew's account... Of these events is told more from Joseph's perspective. Luke's account is much more from Mary's perspective. So, it you know it just dawned on me as I said that out loud. Mary's perspective is much longer, and Joseph's perspective is shorter. You can draw your own conclusions between a woman's perspective and a man's perspective. One's long and detailed; one is short to the point. That, that was a good place to like chuckle or laugh a little bit. That was kind of funny. So uh, anyway, so let's look at what's going on here because this this passage of scripture I, I've read this a hundred times, and it's always been in the context of Christmas. It's been celebrating Christmas, and uh, whether it's been in a church service or candlelight or just at home, or it's it's been in the context of Christmas. So the interesting thing is today I've got two points to a sermon and neither one of them are specifically about Christmas number one Jesus saves how do we know that Jesus saves well let's look at the text and see what the Bible tells us we see that Uh, Matthew's kind of of matter-of-fact, in verse 18, he says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. So here it is. His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Now, what does that mean exactly? I've heard some people say, oh, they were engaged. Well, not exactly. Uh, In the Jewish culture, a betrothal was serious business. It was much more serious than an engagement Okay, so here's what I'll read from one commentator, R.T. France. He said, In Jewish law, betrothal, which lasted about one year, was much more than our engagement. It was a binding contract able to be terminated only by death or by a divorce as for a full marriage. The man was already called the husband, but the woman remained in her father's house and the marriage was completed when the husband took the betrothed to his home in a public ceremony. And then Leon Morris adds that a betrothed woman could be punished as an adulteress as if she were married. So this is, this is serious. It's almost, like, it's almost like you're already married, but just not quite. But it's a, a, a binding situation. So why is that important? Well, it's important because Mary is now going to have a child. So you see the very next verse, in the second part of verse 18, Matthew points out a couple of things. First, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Second, it was before they came together. So remember, she's still in her father's house, and he's already called her husband. So they're together, even though they're not living together. And then verse 18 says, She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So that's a problem, right? That's why Leon Morris pointed out that a betrothed woman could be punished as an adulteress because something's not right, okay? They're promised, bound to one another, and yet she's already with child. So what happens there? So if you jump over to Luke's account... In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, you hear the angel telling Mary. Here's, here's what the Bible says in Luke 1, 35. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. So the fact, listen to this, the fact that Jesus was conceived by a virgin mother without the agency of Joseph is clearly stated throughout this whole section. And it's also the basis for the introduction of the quotation from the Old Testament later on in verses 22 and 23. And it's not so much argued or even described, but it's assumed as a known fact. So, every, in other words, here's what it would look like in, in, in our, um, say, in our community. It was a known fact that Joseph and Mary were going to be married. It was a known fact that Mary had maintained her purity. And yet, she's going to have a baby. So that's not even part of the argument. That's just stated. So understand, everybody understood. Wait a second. This, I don't understand. I, I took biology class. What's going on here? This doesn't make sense. This is impossible, right? You remember what the angel told Mary? The last thing he said, nothing will be impossible with God. So here we are in a seemingly impossible situation, and yet it's happening. Now, why is that important? Why is it such a big deal made about the fact that Mary was a virgin? She had maintained her purity, and yet she's going to have a baby. Why is that such a, a big deal? Think about the implications to our salvation. Think about the, the plan of God, the prophecy from Isaiah, chapter 7 and verse 14, which we're going to get to in just a second. And then later in chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, Isaiah is telling God's people, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. And then in chapter 9, he's get, the, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That, that's who's coming. That's who's going to be born. Our salvation, Christianity, one of the hinges upon which it rests is the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin. Because, do you remember what uh, the angel said in Luke 135? Let me just read it again after He tells Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. See, if Jesus is not born the way He's born, with all those details, then He's not capable of going to a cross and dying for the sin of the world. Everything about this is important. He was perfect. He was sinless. He was the Son of God. The the God of the universe taking on human form. He's he's different, unique. So when, when the Bible says later on in John chapter 3 and verse 16, how did God show His love to the world? He gave his one and only begotten son. Understand that to mean one of a kind. The only one of his kind. There's no other Messiah. There's no other Jesus. That's why he was able and willing to go to a cross and die for our sins. This is a big deal. It's a big deal the way he was born. So that's the importance of this, why it's made a a big deal in Scripture. So now Joseph, he could have reacted many ways. The Bible says uh, that he was a righteous man in verse 19. He didn't want to disgrace his soon-to-be wife. And he planned to send her away secretly or divorce her secretly. So he he wanted to uh, avoid a scandal and allow Mary to maintain her dignity. So that was his... Plan. He had legal standing to do some other options, but he didn't want to do that. He was a righteous man. So after he had considered and, and pretty much made this decision, this is what I'm, how I'm going to handle this, then an angel showed up to him to give him a message. So when you look at verse 20, when he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and here's what the angel shared with him. First of all, he called him son of David. Why is that put in there? Do you know what happens in Matthew chapter 1, verse uh, 1 through 17? You see a, a genealogy of Jesus. So why was it important that Joseph is uh, called son of David? Who is Jesus going to be called? Son of David, right? This was important for the genealogy, for the, the plan of God. to be, Every little detail is included. So Joseph, son of David. Now, what does the angel say? First of all, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to continue your relationship with Mary. Then the angel tells Joseph, reveals to him that the child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So you can almost picture Joseph. Good. I can can live with that. The Holy Spirit of God. The angel informed Joseph that Mary would have a son. And that Joseph would give him a specific name. The child would be named Jesus because, the Bible says, he himself, this is verse 21, he himself will save his people from their sins. Now, I want you to think about something, uh, a commonality here. And you can see this in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Do you remember the birth of John the Baptist? Zachariah and Elizabeth. Zachariah, it's his turn to go burn incense in the temple. He goes in there. The angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Hey, guess what? I know you think you're beyond childbearing. You'd already put those books on the shelf and said, No, 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 we're done with that. No. You're going to have a, a, a child. Elizabeth is going to have a child. And you're going to give him a name. Right? So Zachariah and Elizabeth didn't get to choose the name. In fact, it caused a little stir because everybody, when he said he walks out and he finally is able to speak again, you know, because he he couldn't speak or or hear, that's another story, uh, during that time because he didn't believe God. And when the child is born and they're all looking to him, what's his name? A good family name, like maybe Zach Jr. or, you know, something like that. But no. What did he say? His name is John. He didn't get to decide What to name the boy. You know why? Because he had a particular, unique purpose from God. Jesus had a particular, unique purpose from God. And so, both in the case of John the Baptist and in the case here, when Jesus takes on flesh, God already has the name assigned for a particular purpose. So, what is that name? Jesus. It's not left to the discretion of the parent, obviously, because the child is special, has a destiny that is expressed in the meaning of his name. Jesus, in the Old Testament, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, as it's sometimes referred to, means He will save the uh, tracing of the etymology of the word. Yahweh is salvation. He had a destiny. He came to save. Jesus saves. And I might add, only Jesus saves. Number two. Not only does Jesus save. Jesus is God. God. And you might think, well, why is that so important? If Jesus is not God, then Jesus does not save. Let me state it another way. If Jesus is not God, Jesus cannot save. Look at the text, verse 22. See, everything happened for a reason. God has a plan. He's always had a plan. Verse 22, the Bible says, Now all this happened to fulfill what was... Now, don't miss this. It doesn't say what was spoken by the prophet. Look at your Bible. In fact, back up a slide or two. Two slides, please. All this happened to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, Isaiah was a messenger. He didn't write the message. He was commissioned to take... It's, a, it's as if... You know how sometimes, well, probably most times, you know how government officials have speech writers? They didn't write that stuff. Somebody back in the room that is controlling what they want to say. Say, so here, just read this, or look at that teleprompter. And when it says, end of quote, don't read it out loud. Sorry. This is God's Word, spoken by the Lord through the prophet. This is God's Word. God is speaking. He's using Isaiah. All this happened to fulfill, which means Isaiah wrote 750 years before Jesus was born. And all this happened to fulfill what He said. So God spoke, then it happened. And what did he speak exactly? The circumstances surrounding the birth of the Messiah were foretold. The message of the prophets was the word of the Lord. Now, Isaiah indicated that the virgin would conceive and bear a son and he would be called Emmanuel. Now, I've heard some arguments uh, in the past. Is this an inconsistency? Because you have... His name will be called Jesus because he'll save his people from, his, from their sins. And then here, uh, Isaiah says, call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So here's what's happening. There is no inconsistency. There is no conflict. Isaiah's prophecy explained that the Messiah would be God in the flesh dwelling among the people. So let me, let me explain this. R.T. France wrote a beautiful commentary about this prophecy and about this passage. Let me read to you what he says. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 is seen as fulfilled not in the naming of Jesus as in verse 21 but in the whole account of His origin and His naming in verses 18 to 25. The point is not that Jesus ever was called Emmanuel as an actual name but it indicates His role bringing God's presence to man. The meaning is related to that of His actual name, Jesus, in that it is sin which separates man from God's presence so that salvation from sin results in God with us. How do we restore presence with God? Jesus comes to us. He comes to us, inserts Himself into our struggle, and takes care of business. That's the only way we can be restored to God's presence is because Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God with us. He came to be with us because we couldn't go to Him. Sin separates us from God, so God had to come to us. He always comes to us. It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter... What we're in the middle of, God comes to us. He, he, supernaturally invades our space. No matter how horrific it might be, he uh, there's a I read a book that's, uh, it's just man, it's amazing. A. W. Tozer, it's called The Pursuit of God a companion to the pursuit of man. God is always after us. He's, he's after us. You can't run far enough to get away from where God can't get to you. There's nothing we can do, nowhere we can go that can that can be a place where God can't reach us. That's why the Scripture says if I go... To the depths of the sea, you're there. It doesn't matter where I go, you're there. You, you can't escape God. <laughs> and thank the Lord, that's the truth. So what does Joseph do in response to this? The, the prophet has spoken, now it's being fulfilled. Verse 24 says, Joseph got up from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. It doesn't say that he thought about it, or he asked his buddies, or he... Uh, you know, prayed about it. How about that? That's interesting, isn't it? Pretty much when God tells you to do something, you don't have to ask God whether or not you should do it. Right? Because He's the one who told you to do it. And so there's no gap in verse 24. Joseph got up from his sleep. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. He took Mary his wife. But what did he do in that circumstance? The Bible says he was not knowing her. And that means that first of all he took Mary as his wife despite the cultural consequences but it also means that he maintained purity and abstinence until well after Jesus had been born. Now why is that important? Do you know what Joseph was doing? By the way, remember that the Bible said Joseph was a righteous man? Do you know what he was doing? He refused to cast any doubt on the identity of God's Messiah. He, he was like, nope, this is God's plan. God's working here. I, I'm, I am out of the way. I don't, I don't want there to be any doubt of what God's doing. Because this is a miracle. So Joseph named the boy Jesus just as he had been instructed. Now, I need to kind of draw this into some conclusions that I believe are important for us. Because we we kind of know the story even before we read it this morning. We know the story. We needed to see some details and we needed to understand what, what the Scripture is truly telling us and the implications of it, the personal application. Jesus saves because Jesus is God. That, that's the truth. Now, let me share a, a, a paragraph here from Michael Green who wrote another really brilliant commentary about this passage. Michael Green writes, So here at the annunciation of Jesus' birth, we are brought face to face with the central theme of the gospel. God, who's been at work on His people since the times of Abraham, has come among His people in person. And He's come for the specific purpose of rescuing them from the mess they've gotten themselves into. Christianity is not good advice about morals. It is good news about God and what He's done for us. It would be a pity If all these questions which arise in modern minds were to rob us of the main significance of this marvelous chapter, the Father loves us enough to send His Son, the One who shares both God's nature and ours. He comes to rescue His people from their sins, enemies far more deadly than Rome. And if God loves like that, it is good news. Gospel indeed. Now, if this is the gospel and it's really good news, you know, uh, a quote that always comes back to my mind is uh, a guy named Carl F.H. Henry. And he said, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. So what does, what does that tell us? I, I uh, It's the end of the year and we're going into a new year and I've, I've been thinking and praying about how we should move into this year if there's anything in particular we need to be doing or not doing or concentrating on and so I've, uh, you'll look at the front of your bulletin there's a picture on there it's about vision and uh, so I want to show you a couple of pictures because the picture on your bulletin is one of the pictures that rotates across the front page of our church website. So you see this one. There's our church website. BerlinChurchSC.org. BerlinChurchSC.org. It's on the bulletin already. You don't have to write it down. It's on the back of the bulletin. There's a picture of one of the rotating pictures on our, on our website. Now, if you were to see that picture on the web and you would click on it, then this picture would come up. That's our vision. And it talks about why we're here, what we're here to do, where we're headed. And you can't probably read it from where you are, so I encourage you to actually visit the website. But underneath that first paragraph is a passage of Scripture. It's from 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, parts of this vision have been in place for a a year and a half. But, They haven't really been fully realized. Circumstances in our culture have been haywire, so to speak. Uh, But there's some things that need to happen and and a place where we need to start. And so the very first part of our vision, there's four parts, but that's the first part. It says daily scripture reading. So here's the, the vision. For the coming year. And if you look at the bullet points. You can't read them. But I'll I'll tell you what they say. Every member. Every person who's a part of this church. Reading scripture. Every day. (coughs) Reading scripture. Every day. Every member of the church. Reading the whole Bible through. In a year or two. And you might think. Well that's kind of hard. Yeah. Yeah not hard it just takes a commitment and then the third piece under there has a link so it'll take you to some bible resources now if you want to see what the rest of that page looks like then it looks like this so what what is part of our vision beyond reading the bible prayer spending time in prayer every day intentional evangelism sharing the gospel, talking about Jesus with people who need to know Him on purpose every week. And the last one is mission. Mission, taking the gospel beyond our community. And that has three circles, so to speak, locally, nationally, and internationally. That's what we're called to do. So that's on our vision. You can read about that on the church website. But if you were to click on that link on the first one about reading the Bible, this is what you'd see. Bible reading resources. And there's four different sections there. And the first three are specific, ready-made Bible reading plans. The first one is a good place to start if you're not used to reading the Bible every day. It takes you... Five minutes a day, five days a week, and it charts it out for you, and all you have to do is follow the schedule. It's really simple. And the next two are different ways of reading the whole Bible in a year. One goes straight through, one is chronological as the events happen, so it kind of takes you different places. And then the fourth link on that page is another page of 30 different reading plans. You can pick whatever you want. The point is this. We've got... Plenty of resources. We've got plenty of opportunities, ways to read the Bible. I've got an app on my phone that has these plans on it. That all I have to do is touch it, and every morning, here's your Bible reading for today. I mean, it's here, here's the point. There's no real excuse not to do it. God told us to spend time in His Word and we've got more than enough resources for that to happen. So the next slide is just going to show you again the web address. And like I said, it's on the back of your bulletin. But you can go to the website. You can go across the top little menu, and it says um, Grow and Serve, and all these links are right there. It's it's so easy, so easy to do. But it takes an intentional action to do it. Now, why is that important? very simply Jesus saves the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 how are they going to call on the one they haven't believed in how are they going to believe in the one they had not heard of how are they going to hear without a preacher how are they going to preach unless they're sent because as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. If we don't start with reading God's Word, we won't get to sharing God's Word. We won't see the necessity of prayer. We won't understand the mandate to take the Gospel to the rest of the world, starting right here where we are and going out. We won't understand any of that. It starts with opening the book and reading it. Or in this case, in this day and age, touching an app on your phone. It's it's so simple. But it still takes a choice. An action. As we conclude That's all I want to say about our vision and about the resources that are available to you. But we need to look very carefully at the words the angel used in verse 21. The Bible said, you will name Him Jesus because He will, He Himself, will save His people from their sins. He will save His people from their sins. The angel doesn't say He might save His people The angel does not say He will give them the opportunity to be saved. He says Jesus will save His people from their sins. And because we live on this side of history, we can look backward to the cross and we can say with full confidence, Jesus did save His people from their sins. When Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished, He meant it. So the question before us today is not whether or not Jesus actually accomplished His work. The question before us today is whether or not we are one of His people. Are you one of His people? Do you belong to Jesus? Have you repented of your sins? Have you trusted in Christ alone for forgiveness and eternal life? Can you say with confidence that you're going to heaven when you die? Because there's only one way to get there. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus saves. So... Maybe we should ask these two questions of ourselves. Who is Jesus to me? The Bible tells us who Jesus is. Who who is Jesus to me? And what difference does it make? If you can't say with 100% full confidence, I belong to Jesus, I've repented of my sins, I've trusted in Him alone. For my salvation and forgiveness. I know where I'm going. If that's not you then I, I am begging you. you you can't leave this question unanswered where do you stand with Jesus? you've got to know that answer and you've got to be sure confident confident Not because you did something to deserve it, but because Jesus did everything. Jesus saves. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.